We're going to conclude our series this morning, our Advent series, The Deeper Magic of Christmas. There have been some extraordinary births throughout human history. One lady uh, was 39 weeks pregnant, but yet she got permission to run in the Chicago Marathon. She ran the first half, uh, and then she started having contractions, and so she walked the second half. Uh, she completed the race and headed straight to the hospital to have the baby. The oldest woman on record to give birth is a lady from India who was 70 years old. So some of y'all, we can do it again. Well, besides the Bible. Her husband was 79 years old, and they've been married for 50 years. Uh, the largest baby ever to be born that both survived and the mother survived was in September of 1955. Gave birth to a baby boy weighing 22 pounds, 8 ounces. <laughs> there have been a lot of extraordinary births throughout the history, but still, I would say Jesus holds the cake. He holds the record for the most extraordinary birth ever. But an extraordinary birth might be cool and fascinating and awe-inspiring, but does it matter? What does it mean? What's the point of this birth that we celebrate at the Christmas season? I want to zoom in on one particular word this morning. One word, we've talked about it a little bit already, we've sung about it. But a word that I think sums up the story of Christmas and encapsulates what we've called the deeper magic of Christmas that we've been talking about, a word that sums up really the point of the birth of Jesus. The word is Emmanuel. Emmanuel comes from first Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 where Isaiah writes and he says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And then picked up again in the New Testament, the angel tells Mary that she will give birth. And the angel says, behold, Matthew 1.23, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. See, Emmanuel is a title or a descriptor given for the coming Messiah. And we know from the, the building narrative of the Old Testament that this coming Messiah, this one would come to rescue the world. He would come to crush the head of the serpent. He would come to bless all nations of the earth. We knew that he'd be a king in the line of David. But Isaiah and the angel Gabriel tell us that the Messiah would be more than just a snake crusher. He would be God with us. And while this phrase uh, to anyone who has been in church for a while during the Christmas season, you know that phrase, you know that word. I think it is something that we, we need to kind of recapture our imaginations with. And so we're going to really just spend our time this morning breaking down that phrase. And the three points are God with and us. And we're going to look at that. So first, God. First thing is God and that Jesus is fully God. He's fully God. When we, when we think about God and we think about who God is and how God has revealed himself to be, we find a God that is transcendent, a God that is holy and all-powerful and mighty and beautiful and radiant, a God so big and powerful and transcendent that often God can feel unknowable and ununderstandable. Before the manger, the most holy of men could not look upon God's face 
without dying. Right? Remember, Moses looked at the back of God's head, and he comes down the mountain glowing and radiating with a supernatural-looking sunburn. The poor guy who was carrying the Ark of the Covenant one day, moving it to the temple, trips. And as he stumbles and puts his hand up to stop the Ark from falling, which was the presence of God, touches it, and he drops dead. We are talking about a God who spoke through burning bushes and in whirlwinds and through prophets. A God who, who parted oceans and a God who lived in a temple in the very middle of that room and that only one man once a year could, only after making a sacrifice, go into that room and still they tied a rope around his ankle in case he dropped dead, they could drag his dead body out. This holy God, when we think about God, we think of someone so powerful, he could speak the universe into existence in a moment. A God so mighty, he parts oceans and can stop the sun in the sky and even raise the dead. We are talking about a being so far beyond our comprehension that to think about him taxes the limits of our brain's capacity. A God who has no needs, a God who is not in want for anything, but is perfectly satisfied, not lacking anything at all, but perfectly content, has everything he needs. A God who has existed for an eternity past, a God who was never created, has no beginning, has no birthday, no start date, no origin, but a God who simply has always been and who will never end, never cease, never stop existing. When Moses asked the burning bush, God's voice, to tell him, hey, I'm going to go back to, to Pharaoh and to Israel, but who should I tell them sent me? He says to tell them that I am sent you. My name is I am that I am or I shall be what I shall be. Because God is so big and vast that you cannot limit him to one name or one descriptor. Because it would limit all of who he is. You cannot put God in a box. There's no label, no value, no measurement that could encapsulate his being, his splendor, his majesty, his power, his person. God is God, he is I am, he is what he is, he shall be what he shall be, and there is no one like him. And what can we say but rather that God is not man, but is God. And so who is this baby we find in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes? Who is this rescuer come to save us? Who is this long foretold Messiah? Is he a prophet? Is he a priest? Is he an angel, some powerful being? No, none of those things in and of themselves would suffice. The crazy thing, the incomprehensible thing, the fairy tale sort of thing about Christmas is that the baby in the manger is God. The great I am, Yahweh, the creator of the world, entered history and was born and took the name Jesus. You see, Jesus is not part God. He is not a demigod. He is not half God, half man. He is not a manifestation of God. He is not an agent of God. Jesus is God, very God, fully God. He is God with no qualification. God did not create Jesus. Jesus, rather, is the creator of the universe, the one who has no beginning and no end and who sustains the universe by the word of his power, even as his mother rocks him to sleep. Jesus is 100% God and so he can tell the disciples, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. 
Listen to Colossians 1, verse 15 through 20. Uh, the Apostle Paul described Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. What we find in the manger, in the little baby Jesus, is the God who by the word of his power is upholding and sustaining the universe. Why does it matter then that Jesus is God and not just sent by God? Why does it matter that Jesus is God and not just the agent of God? Well, for us, it matters everything. Acts 20, 28 says, Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought, which God bought by with his own blood. You see, only God can forgive sins. Particularly, only God can forgive the sins committed against him. And the apostle understood this, uh, that Jesus is God and with his blood, God Jesus purchased the church. Do you remember when Jesus uh, goes to the paralytic's house and uh, they, they, you know, he comes down through the roof, lowers the man through the roof, and uh, he heals the paralytic. And then he says to that man who gets up and walks, he says, and your sins are forgiven. And everyone gets angry. Everyone's mad and they're shocked. Who is Jesus to tell this man that his sins are forgiven? And Jesus then looks at them and he says, what's harder to do? heal a man that's paralyzed so that he can walk again or to tell him his sins are forgiven. The problem the crowd had was that they didn't think Jesus had the authority to forgive this man's sins because the man's sins were against God. And who was Jesus to forgive this man on behalf of God? See, for them, it was like a husband who had wronged his wife, who had sinned against his wife in some way. And then the, the, the wife's mom, the mother-in-law, comes to the husband and says, I forgive you. That's not her place. The, 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 the crime wasn't against her. She is not the one who needs to forgive him. The wife does. You see, Jesus is showing them that the man's sins are against God. And since they are against God, they are against Jesus because they are one and the same. And because he is God, he alone has the right to declare the man's sins forgiven. Jesus alone can forgive sins because as God, our sins are against him. As God, our sins are against Jesus. It matters that Jesus is God because only God could come and be the sacrifice we needed to forgive us of our sins. You see, God came to earth to save us not from the devil. Jesus did not come to save us from the devil. Jesus did not come to save us from ourselves. Jesus came to save us from himself. Jesus came to save us from his own wrath and his own judgment and his own justice. God came, Jesus came to rescue us from God. And so God himself had to come because it was God we had offended. And so God had to come to set things right between us and him. See, the deeper magic of Christmas is Emmanuel, which means God with us. God himself has come in the fullness of Jesus. But what does it mean 
not only that God has come, but what does it mean that he's coming to be with us? The second thing I want us to see is with, that God, to be with us, that God became fully man. He became fully man. To truly be with us, he had to become like us in every way. You see, God had been interacting with humanity since the beginning of time, right? But since sin entered the world, God's interactions had always been at a distance. You see, there were temples and there were priests and there were regulations and sacrifices. There were all of these systems, all these protocols. You had to follow this and that to even have somewhat of a distant relationship with God. God lived over in that temple, over in Jerusalem, in a finite space, in a particular spot, in a particular temple. And only the high priest once a year got to go in there. And so you had to know God through the priest, through the sacrifices. You just brought the lamb, the the priest sacrificed it on your behalf. Everything was systematized and you were far removed from the divine. But in the Christmas story, the good news of Emmanuel is that God himself came to be with us. And to be with us means he's becoming like us, like us in every way without sin. Philippians 2.6 says it this way. Who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. God, who he's just described in all of his vastness, humbled himself, gave up glory and riches and ease, and he gave up heaven itself, all for the reward of being with us. To be with us in every way, to have a relationship with us in every way possible, and to do that, he had to become human like us. It says that he did not grasp, meaning he did not cling to his divinity, his Godhood. Rather, he could set his glory aside. You see, man's maker was made man that he, the ruler of the stars, might nurse at his mother's breast. That the bread of life might hunger. That the fountain of living water might thirst. That the light of the world might know darkness. That the way would get tired of his journey. That the truth himself would be accused of false teaching. That strength himself would grow weak. And that the healer would be wounded and that life himself would die. History is full of the birth of kings. It is nothing new for a king to be born, but only once has a king become a baby. And he did so, so that he could be close to you. I love the way that John describes this in John chapter 1, verse 14. He says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word is John's clever way of referring to Jesus, the one who speaks and makes sense of God. He becomes flesh. He becomes human, yes. But then he says, and he dwelt among us. In the Greek, it literally translates to he tabernacled amongst us. God became flesh, and in his becoming flesh, he becomes a living, breathing, walking temple. So that now humanity doesn't have to know God through a building made by stones and human hands. But rather you could walk with, talk with, observe and know God. Because the temple had come to us. What sort of God, what sort of king would do this? What sort of king gives up everything, 
to, to endure hardship and suffering, to, to be poor, to be rejected, to be despised? What king comes knowing that he will face rejection by his own people? The sort of king who loves you is the only explanation. What does it matter that God became human? Three quick things. It matters that Jesus is fully human because only a human could live righteously for us. Adam failed his test in the Garden of Eden. He sinned and rebelled against God and in so doing destroyed the world. You see, Adam, when he was in the Garden, was our representative head. He stood on our behalf in the Garden. And when he fell, when he sinned, when he was uh, come under that curse, so did all of humanity and all of us with him. But when Jesus comes, he comes as the second Adam. The one who was tempted in every way like we are, but yet was without sin. He went into the wilderness like Adam and was tempted by the devil. But like, unlike Adam, he didn't fail. He never sinned. And so because Jesus is human, he was able to live the life that you could never live. He was able to live before God perfectly as a human and never fail because he knew you would. And so when we trust in Christ, not only are our sins forgiven, but the perfect life of Christ is given to us as if we lived it ourselves. The God of the universe then can smile over us because the account of the perfect life of Christ is given to you. You see, Jesus lived and never lusted because he knew you couldn't live without lusting. Jesus lived and was never greedy because he knew you could never live a life without greed. And that life is given to you as if you didn't. It matters that Jesus is fully human because he can now sympathize with us. The book of Hebrews, uh, chapter 4, verse 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus knew what it was like to want for more and to be tempted to cut corners to get it. He knew what it was like to be tempted with greed and lust and jealousy. Jesus knew what it was like to feel betrayed, to feel used, to want revenge, to get even. Jesus was tempted and he felt human emotions like us. And so when we go through those same things, we do not have a distant, aloof God who doesn't understand human struggles. You see, God is not like what our kids imagine us or, our, or their grandparents to be like, right? Mom, you have no idea what I'm going through. Grandma, you cannot possibly imagine the things I'm going through. Right, that's how we feel about them. But God is not like that. He knows exactly the road you walk because he has walked it too. He knows exactly what you go through. He has walked in our shoes. He has hurt with us. He can relate to us. He can sympathize with us and knows exactly how to comfort us. And he can only know these things because he was human in every way like we were. It matters that Jesus is fully human because now we can truly know him. No longer do we encounter God through temples or priests or rituals. Rather, we encounter God anywhere, anytime through the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. We have access to God. When Jesus came, he was the temple of God, God's very presence. But now he has sent his spirit to make us those very temples of God so that God is always with us. The deeper magic of Christmas reveals to us that Jesus, we celebrate, is fully God and fully man at the same time, 100%, 100%. And he has made God truly knowable. Emmanuel, God with us. And finally, us. God actually wants you. 
Like, he actually wants to know you, the real you. During the construction of Emerson Hall at Harvard University, President Charles Eliot invited psychologist and philosopher William James to suggest a suitable inscription for the stone lintel over the doors of the philosophy department. After some reflection, James uh, sent the university a line from a Greek philosopher that said, man is the measure of all things. That's what he thought should be written over uh, over the lintel of the philosophy department. But James never heard back from the university. And so his curiosity was piqued about what they decided to do when he saw the artisans working on the scaffolding hidden by a canvas. And one morning he came and the scaffolding was gone, the canvas was gone, and the inscription was there. And it said, What is man that thou art mindful of him? Those two inscriptions cannot be more different. What is man? And now while some people have quite a high view of humanity, the Bible and our own consciences tell a different story. We understand the verse that says, what is man that you are mindful of him? Who are we that you would think about us, that you would consider us, that you would spend time worrying about and thinking about who we are? Because who are we? Think of how superior that you feel to an ant that you squash under your foot. You don't think twice about it. And the distance between us and an ant is a fraction of the distance between us and God. Have you ever considered the vastness of space? I was at Nathan, our worship pastor's house the other day, and we were standing outside. Usually we look at the trees, but that night we were looking up at the stars. And we were just uh, looking up into the sky and looking at these stars. And and I said, man, it is so wild to think that each one of these stars is actually a sun in its own solar system. And we're only seeing some of the stars right now. How vast is space? That we live in a galaxy in a universe of billions of galaxies. And that all of that vastness was both created by God in a moment and also is upheld right now by the word of his power. And yet God is mindful of us. And yet the sheer magnitude of the cosmos and all that there is in the universe, he is mindful of us, seemingly little ants. Or consider eternity for a moment. This, this like, literally boggles my mind if, if you sit and think about it. That God never had a beginning. Like, really think about that for a moment. Like there was no origin, no starting point, no entering into existence. But rather God has simply always been and there's never been a moment where he wasn't. Like our minds can't even get our head around that. We can't comprehend that. We can't comprehend the length of which God has existed because it can't even be measured because it's not a length because it it doesn't begin or end. We can't even grasp that. But when you consider that, And you consider that we are finite creatures who live for maybe a measly 100 years if we're lucky. And that God would pay any attention to us. Such small and finite creatures. But not only are we so small and minuscule compared to him, we're broken. We're his enemies. We are against him. Like the older brother and the prodigal son, we want God's stuff without God. We want to take advantage of the world and his blessings for ourselves and use them for our own purposes in our own way. And at every turn, we fail God. We fail to listen to him. We fail to heed his laws. We fail to follow his commands. And we, not, we, we 
we fail and rebel against him. And the Bible says that our best works, like if we could conjure up the very best that we had to give, it is filthy rags before this holy God. And so what is man that you are mindful of him? Who are we that you pay any attention to us small rebellious creatures? And yet what do we find but that the Christmas story tells us that God was born in human flesh and the first people he tells, the first people that God wants to announce the news that he has come to is not the best and brightest the world has to offer. It is not the rich and the nobles. It is not the wise and the powerful and the influential, but rather it is the lowly, poor, dirty, nobody shepherds. And Jesus lives a life where he breaks down barriers, not just between God and humanity, but religious barriers that kept the worst of humanity at a distance. Jesus came seeking out the worst humanity had to offer. He came and sought out the sellout tax collectors. He came and sought out the prostitutes and the sinners. Jesus hung out with the sick and the weak and the dying, the untouchables. There are three amazing things in the word Emmanuel, God with us. It is amazing that God himself would come. It is amazing that God would come be like us. God could have came as God, like in this powerful form, but he comes like a human in every way. And it is amazing that he is, in his coming, he did so, that he could be with us, so that he could be with you and know you. It's amazing that God would be mindful of of us, much less want to know us personally. Not only that he just pays us mind and attention, but that he wants a personal relationship and bring you into his family. There are some of you in this room this morning, and Christmas has been nothing to you but a cultural celebration of time with family, of gifts and songs and good food. But what I want you to see is that it is a reminder of the links that God would go to so that he could know you, forgive you, and make you whole and bring you into his family. There are some of you in this room, and you do not think that God could ever be mindful of you because you're nobody, because you're broken, because you're too messed up. But the story of Christmas destroys that false narrative. It destroys that false narrative that our minds believe that God could never want me or pay attention to me or consider me. Because Christmas destroys that because God came to be with us. I could tell you stories of people in this room I can tell you the stories of the, of the women who've had abortions and yet God has drawn them close, forgiven them, healed them, and loved them unconditionally. I can tell you about the men in this room addicted to pornography who've cheated on their wives and yet God has forgiven them, restored their marriages, made them whole, and drawn them close. I can tell you in this room about men who are addicted to every drug imaginable, who've gone to prison and who yet have been restored to God, drawn close, and God's working in their life. In this room, I can tell you about people who have been hurt by churches, hurt by religion, who are who, people who were abused and who were treated horribly. I can tell you about mistreated, broken, addicted, and hurt people, all of whom who have come to Jesus and been loved and forgiven and drawn near to him and made whole. But that's their stories. My question this morning is, what is your story? Do you know that God himself in all of his glory and splendor came to die a sinner's death? So that he could forgive you of the wrongs you've committed against him. Do you know that God humbled himself to become human so that he could walk in your shoes, live a perfect life for you, and therefore sympathize with you in hard times, to be close to you? Do you know that God came for the likes of you? Not a theoretical you. He didn't come for a general you. 
He did not come for the best of you. He came for the actual you. He came for you with all your baggage, all your hurts, all your pains, all your warts, all your worries, all your anxieties, and all your regrets. He came for the actual you. Do you know this Jesus, this God-man, come for you? I want you to know this Christmas season that this fairy tale of a story that God became man to die for us is not just in books and not just in legends. It's actually true. And it is better than you could ever imagine. We can know it's true because the story of Christmas ends with the story of Easter. That though Jesus died for our sins, he was raised from the dead. And there is to this day an empty tomb in Jerusalem. The body under Roman guard was never produced because it wasn't there to be produced. Because everything Jesus said and did is actually true. And do you know what happened when Jesus died? But miles away in a temple where hung a veil, a curtain that represented the separation between God and man where only the high priest could go once a year. The moment Jesus took his last breath, that curtain was ripped in two from top to bottom. Because God no longer lived there. Because in the death of Christ, God was opening the door to welcome you in. The deeper magic of Christmas is filled with a lot of actual magic. God coming to earth, God becoming a human, a virgin birth, healings and miracles and resurrections from the dead, a veil torn in two. But behind all of the miracles and all of the actual magic and all the supernatural things lies one word, one point, one deeper magic to it all. Emmanuel, God with us. That God moved heaven and earth to be with us. And his outstretched hand is now inviting you in. The only question is, will you accept the gift of the creator of the world? Because if you do, you'll never be the same. Let's pray. Father, this morning we are excited to celebrate the Christmas season. We are excited to celebrate the God-man come to be with us. And so, Father, this morning we in this room worship you. We worship the Son in truth for how he has come to be like us in every way and to die our death and to live our life. That he might save us. We celebrate Christmas, Emmanuel, that you would be mindful of us to come with us. And so, Father, for those in this room who have celebrated Christmas, who have been a part of the Christian tradition and celebrate Christmas, but they know deep in their heart, They've been in church, they've been around church, they've celebrated Christmas, they believe that there is a God, but they know they've not bowed their knees to you as king of their life. This morning, Father, would you give them the courage to say, now is the time that my life has to be given to Jesus so that I might be made whole and forgiven and brought in. As we sing this last song, I'm going to stand over here to the left. If that's you this morning, run down here. Don't hesitate. And come, let me introduce you to the one who can make your whole life different. If you're here this morning and you believe and this is your Savior, I encourage you to just worship. To not be thinking about lunch, not be thinking about all the plans for later in the day, but to simply think on Emmanuel, that God would come to be with us. God, give us strength to respond the way we need. We love you in Christ's name. We pray all those people said. Let's stand together.